Choice and Control is a podcast celebrating meaningful inclusion of people with disability in our communities, brought to you by Carers Queensland, your NDIS local area coordination partner in the community. Each episode provides a conversation space for people with disability, their families and carers to share their stories with you. We also hear from members of the wider community, local businesses and community leaders who share information, ideas and possibilities to give you more opportunity and more choice and control in your life. Every year on the 3rd of December, people around the world take part in International Day of People with Disability. A day to celebrate the contributions and achievements of people with disability and promote awareness, understanding and acceptance in our community. In this episode, we talk to two experienced motivational speakers who are part of our International Day of People with Disability celebrations. Kerry Lee Gockel, also known as the Wingless Warrior, has delivered her message of strength and resilience on stage now for a number of years. I started by asking Kerry Lee about her life growing up and what led her to become a motivational speaker. Well, I think it's probably relevant to start with the fact that I was born without arms, but I was born into an incredible family. So my parents took my disability in their stride and they've never ever dwelled on why I was born with no arms. Their focus was always just on making sure that I accepted my normal and accepted that my normal was different and that I felt really confident in my own skin. Um, I can safely say that they did succeed in all of that. (laughs) Um, I also have a younger sister, Nikki, um, and our family, which now includes my husband, Paul, and my brother-in-law, Daryl, and three gorgeous kids um, that belong to my sister and Daryl. We are all extremely close. We are a very close-knit family, and we love each other lots and lots and lots. Um, Excuse me. I was actually born in South Africa, and uh, we immigrated to Australia when I was 10 in 1993. So I'm actually extremely grateful that my parents took that fairly bold leap and left everything that they knew and moved to a new country because it really did give my sister, um, Nikki and I, the best opportunities in life. I don't think that we would have had the opportunities um, that we have had had we stayed in South Africa. Um, I married my soulmate, Paul, in 2015. And um, while we have chosen not to have children of our own, Um, We do love being Auntie Kerry and Uncle Paul to all of our nieces and nephews. Um, I obtained a dual degree in law and business at QUT, um, and I actually started my career in private legal practice. Um, Admittedly, I was actually quite disappointed when I realised that a career in law wasn't going to be for me. Um, And in 2010, I joined Queensland Treasury. So I absolutely don't regret that decision. I, I really enjoy my job. Um, but it was it was a little bit of a, um, I suppose, a reality check that sometimes the plans that we make don't always come to fruition. So I had my heart set on being a lawyer for quite a number of years. So it was a little bit disappointing when I realised that that wasn't quite the career that that was going to going to suit me going forward. Um, as I mentioned, I work for Queensland Treasury, um, and for the last couple of months, I've actually been heading up a project to implement some changes to legislation um, that my department. Department administers. Um, It's been a really, really big project and there have been lots of moving parts, so it's really kept me on my toes. Um, I've been involved with coordinating multiple teams across our organisation to deliver an improved experience for our clients, who are the people of Queensland. Um, Prior to that, I was actually a team leader of a client-facing team of eight people. 
Um, so that team was responsible for assisting a cohort of our client base with meeting their, their legislative obligations. So I'm actually really grateful that even though I'm no longer practicing as a lawyer, my job is still very much in that legal world and I essentially administer legislation that directly contributes to the Queensland economy. How did you first consider becoming a motivational speaker and why? It actually happened really organically. Um, I started out, you know, speaking at schools and um, sort of in my early 20s, you know, around about the time I'd finished school, you know, my high school asked me to come back and have a chat to the students about, you know, the career path that I'd taken. And I actually really enjoyed that. But I found that I've got a really clear idea of what my message is once I'd actually been in the workforce for a couple of years and had a bit of life experience behind me. And certainly in the last couple of years, I've spoken a bit more in that corporate environment. And I just really enjoy sharing about how I've built my resilience so that when life throws me a curveball, like it does everybody else, I can respond in a really constructive way. I also just think that my message is quite relatable. It's not specific to someone with a disability. I think that, you know, the message is quite broad and, and, you know, a lot of people can relate to what I have to say. And I really love it when somebody who does hear me speak comes up to me afterwards to share what resonated with them or how it's changed their view on a particular issue. So I also just think that speaking gives me that opportunity to really connect with people, which um, as a classic extrovert (laughs) is the one thing that really fills my cup. Um, My message has always been that not everything is possible for me and I don't expect everything to be possible for me, but I do believe that everyone, um, not just people with a disability, but everyone can explore and expand what is possible for them. Now, in saying that, though, it is important to to remember that in terms of exploring those opportunities, it's our collective responsibility to make sure that we remove any barriers that are in the way and that we all endeavour to have our environments and our attitudes as inclusive as possible. My experience has actually been really great. So I haven't come across any significant barriers in that space at all. As I've done more and more speaking, I've obviously become more aware of what works for me and what doesn't. (laughs) So, for example, I generally need a lectern. Um, A lapel mic is something that works much, much better for me than obviously a handheld mic. (laughs) But also even even a fixed mic on a lectern, you know, doesn't enable me to move around a stage, whereas a lapel mic just gives me that little bit of freedom of movement. Um, So I have now that I'm more aware of what my specific needs are when I am up on stage, I make sure that I actually engage with an an organiser quite early on in the piece and just am very transparent about what those needs are so that we can make sure everything's in place before I arrive on the days because I really don't enjoy, you know, fussing around on the day. It just makes makes me look a little bit unprofessional and the event doesn't run quite as smoothly as, as it should. I've also been, you know, I'm also really not shy about the fact that I need assistance from other people with most of my day-to-day activities, and that includes when I'm up on stage speaking. So I always bring an assistant with me to help me with turning the pages or, you know, organising my notes or if there's a PowerPoint presentation that I need to change slides with. Um, That may change over time. Um, I'm sure that, that there's technology out there available to me that I haven't just come across, but for the time being, one of my needs is to have somebody there with me. So again, I'm transparent with the organisers about that. 
Um, and most of them, have, well, all of them have been extremely accommodating and it's just not been an issue. So it's been a really, really positive experience for me so far. What's been the most rewarding experience about speaking at events and sharing your lived experience? I think in a nutshell, Tracy, it's just knowing that I'm perhaps changing people's perceptions about disability and what people with a disability are actually capable of. Um, I also love the fact that there have been many, many moments in my life that I have laughed out loud and I really enjoy sharing some of those with people and having people laugh along with me because we can't take ourselves too seriously. I don't take myself very seriously at all. And my life has actually been full of joy and I really enjoy sharing that with others. LAC Connect. It's a new way to stay in touch with your local area coordinator, Carers Queensland with everything you need right here on your device. It's a handy app to keep track of your LAC appointments, browse workshops and events, check out information and support and get the latest news, stories and podcasts. It's available on Android and iOS, so whatever device you have, you can stay in touch. Head to our website to sign up at carersqld.com.au and look for LAC Connect. When you think about the way people with disability are represented in the media. Mm-hmm. How do you want to be represented in the media and generally? I just really like to be represented as a normal person who, like everyone else, has got a, a unique story. I think we're all unique in our own way. Um, I absolutely don't want to be portrayed as a victim whose life has been some sort of battle because mine hasn't. Um, as I said earlier, like most people, I've had to overcome challenges and my approach is perhaps a little bit different to everybody else's, but my life really has been full of joy. I also don't want to be put on a pedestal as some sort of superhero who can achieve the impossible, because again, that's not my reality. Not everything is possible for me. I think also, Tracy, it's really important to represent people with a disability just as every other person would want to be represented. So for me, that's someone who has a career, it's someone who likes to challenge her physical limits, it's someone who re- who cares a lot about her health and well-being, someone who's happily married to her soulmate, and someone who loves to travel and explore other parts of this world. I just think that when the diversity in society is on full display, we create that awareness of the different capabilities and needs of people in our communities And it actually makes it easier for all of us to be as inclusive as possible. Do you feel comfortable when people say you're an inspiration? I am comfortable with being called an inspiration, so long as I'm inspirational for the right reasons. (laughs) So what I mean by that is um, I I don't particularly like being uh, held out to be inspirational because I can chop veggies or... Um, because I can type with my toes, but I do want to be inspirational because I have found ways to adapt. I have a solutions-focused outlook on life. I'm positive about my life. I, you know, regularly set myself goals and challenge challenge myself. Those are the sorts of things that I'd like to be inspirational for, not just for being able to get up and exist and feed myself and, and all of that. So... I think, again, it's it's that whole concept about not expecting everything to be possible and, you know, really looking at what, uh, uh, well, how we can all explore and expand what is possible for us. 
and also just looking at opportunities for removing those barriers. I'm really keen to share my experience in the workforce because I've had I've been very included in my workplaces. Um, I have never actually felt excluded in my workplaces and I think that some of the things that have helped with that inclusion have been really, really simple things to do. We're Can not... you give some examples? Yeah, sure. Um, one of one of the, the things that stands out for me is at the moment my, my workplace is relocating to a new building. So one of the first things that um, I was involved in was some consultation around whether or not the facilities were going to work for me. I was taken on a tour of the new building. Um, one of the big things for me is an accessible bathroom. Now, when we speak about an accessible bathroom, I think people think of grab rails and lots of space. Um, but for me, that, that's not what accessible means to me. Accessible for me means having some privacy within the bathroom because when I go to the loo, somebody comes with me. So I have somebody pop into the bathroom, help me take my clothes off, and then they exit the bathroom. So in order for them to open the door and exit and re-enter the bathroom, I do need some privacy within the bathroom. Otherwise, I'm on full display when that door opens. <laughs> so there was that consultation around, okay, well, how can we make this space work for you? Um, and I was involved in I was involved in that process, and I think that that's a key. You know, we hear that message time and time again of, you know, make sure that people with a disability have a seat at the table when decisions are being made that impact them. And that's exactly what happened here. I had a seat at the table. I was able to provide some input, and now I can go to work knowing that the space that I work in meets my needs. So, Did you actively have to push for that seat at the table or were you invited? I was invited. I was invited. So that's why I say I think that there's there's just it's always been a positive experience for me. I'm, 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 I'm very grateful that I don't have to push push for that. Um, one of the other things that has has been wonderful is that the environment at work or our culture at work is one that's really centered around being vulnerable and, you know, sharing sharing when we need help. So that's just not on a personal level, but you know, as a workplace culture. And it makes it so much easier for people like me who have personal needs to be comfortable with showing vulnerability and saying, well, these are the sorts of things that I actually need help with on a day-to-day -day basis. And what happens then is that you just create that awareness, you know, with your colleagues. And I've got colleagues who at work have become my friends and who will, you know, who help me with those day-to-day -day tasks. So I go to work and I don't have to worry about all of those little things about, oh, you know, what if I need to go to the bathroom and who's there to help me and I better arrange this formal support service or, you know, can I access this? I just know that I've got a support network there who are more than willing to give me a hand if I get stuck. I think that consultation is key. I think that it, it, it comes down to, to asking questions and not making assumptions. Um, I think when we start making assumptions, that's when we perhaps even remove accessibility or don't get accessibility and inclusion quite right, start by having an open and honest and transparent conversation. Um, and for people with a disability who, disability who are invited to be part of that conversation, please accept the invitation and, and, and participate and be open and transparent as well about what it is that you need to feel included at work and have your workplace accessible because when you've got that open and transparent communication, that's when the magic happens. And, and prior to those um, connections being formed at work, I relied on formal support services, which is which is great. And I'm, I was very grateful that I had those support services available to me. 
but it was really restrictive because they came at 10.30 and 2 o'clock. That's it. Mm. So, you know, the, 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 there's so much power in, in sharing, you know, sharing your vulnerability and being transparent with those around you because it took no time at all for people to just start offering. They said, well, if ever you get stuck, if ever you need a wee in between 10.30 and 2 o'clock, ask me. I'm happy to help you. And I've now been able to dispense with formal support services because I've got this network of women at work who've all said to me, we'll help if you need it. So it doesn't it doesn't have to be this big coordinated structured thing. You know, it can be as simple as having the conversations and being comfortable with being a little bit vulnerable. And you'll be surprised at the amazing connections that you form with people. And, and humans are designed to, we're wired to want to help each other. That's what I realize every single time. Humans want to want to help each other out. We're not we're not supposed to live in isolation of each other. So that's probably been the biggest awakening for me is the more you share, the bigger your network grows and the more support that you have. And that was Kerry Lee Gockel. And if you'd like to learn more about Kerry Lee's story, visit our website at carersqueensland.com.au forward slash NDIS. Dean Clifford has been delivering his motivational message on stage now for nearly 20 years. We started by asking Dean about what first interested him in becoming a motivational speaker. Yeah, it was something that I didn't really think I'd ever do. Like I, um, with my uh, work uh, as one of the sort of people supporting my charity, the um, Deborah Association, which is sort of the acronym for my skin condition. Um, from a really young age, I was attending, you know, different events and just sharing tiny little bits about my story to raise awareness and, and hopefully raise as much money and support as we could. Going right back, I can remember, um, you know, as a eight, ten-year-old sort of drawing raffles and, you know, being a part of different fundraising events that we always tried to do, mostly to get the awareness out, but also to raise as much money as we could for my skin condition. Um, so I've sort of always done tiny little bits, but me personally, I didn't think I had a story that was worthy of sharing on a larger scale or larger platform. I just thought it was my life. It's um, pretty mundane. I grew up in a very small country town and I thought, you know, no one would want to hear my story. And it wasn't until I got older and sort of was reflecting and looking back on things. I thought, well, you know, it is a pretty unique story of how I survived all the really difficult times and how I overcome um, all the really negative and dark periods in my life so I sort of thought about it a bit more and I thought well I'd love to try to help people that were feeling a bit hopeless or feeling a bit sort of um, worthless at times in their life and just didn't have that sort of direction that um, I, I felt at different stages in my life as well. So I sort of thought that was my main driving factor was to connect in touch with those people that were going through really, really challenging periods in their life. And so I piece by piece started to think about different stories and different things that I had achieved and overcome and worked out 
the what what my headspace was like at that time and sort of the mental side of how I overcame all the different challenges and spent a lot of time just thinking through all the different phases of my life and different you know mindsets and feelings and how things made me feel and how I overcame them or how I rose above the challenges and so then I sort of had this skeleton as I say um, in a, a lot of the times this sort of skeleton of how I overcame everything to get to where I was this is now 20 years ago um and so, yeah, I just started sort of going out to those fundraising events and then just sort of branching out a bit more about my story. And, and then uh, businesses said that attended those things, said they'd love to hear me and sort of they thought I could motivate their staff. And so within 12 months of sort of actually deciding I was going to do it, um, we had a national career travelling all around Australia then of um, talking to everyone from, uh, you know, people in the disability employment sector through people um, in really struggling to find employment in, um, you know, different health issues. And then it just grew to, you know, businesses getting me to speak at different, you know, events that they were having. And um, as I said, within 12 months, I was flying to Canberra to meet with the politicians and share my story and my insight on disability employment issues and other health and um, practices that I sort of experienced in the, you know, within the government sectors of health and um, all the other different sectors that disability issues touch on. And it just sort of all of a sudden, I after, yeah, that first year, I sat back and I thought, wow, we've had um, calls and inquiries from, you know, Brisbane here and back in my hometown of Kingaroy. We've also got bookings for Canberra, Sydney, Melbourne. And before I knew it, I conquered the East Coast. And then, yeah, we, we were, you know, national within that 12 to 18 months travelling all around Australia. That must have been a, a vibe. It must have been a, a great feeling to travel around. Yeah, it, it sort of happened so fast that I, at times I didn't really take stock of how how busy things were and how how much momentum was behind me. Um, it's sort of looking back, I sort of think, oh, maybe I didn't you know, quite capitalise on a few of the opportunities that I was presented with because there were just so many things happening to, to land in Canberra um, at the at that time in uh, 2000, I think it was very early 2005, I'd already been speaking for 18 months or two years just about and I, I landed in Canberra literally just for a meeting with an employment agency that wanted to share my story for similar to International Day, I think it was um, uh, Disability Action Week, it was, um, which used to be separated as two different periods, I think, if my memory serves, Disability Action Week 20-odd years ago was around March, April, I think, if my memory serves, and um, yeah, just landed in Canberra to go to that event um, near Lake Burley Griffith there and landed in Canberra and there was a missed call on my phone from the Prime Minister's office who heard I was in Canberra and wanted me to come in to meet with them to see what I was doing. So to have those sort of, you know, 
moments that occurred. It was something that, as I said, at the time was just go, go, go. You didn't really realise how amazing it was to get, you know, calls like that coming through and then invited to speak at Prime Minister's Invitational Dinners and, um, you know, the, the whirlwind that sort of occurred back then was really, really amazing at the time. There's always things you would have loved to have changed and loved to have done slightly different, but um, I think the the biggest thing with me is remaining true to myself to just, you know, I, I've had a lot of people sort of say, oh, you could be earning 10 times more if you were putting out DVDs and you were doing, you know, um, a, a lot of online glossy things and you, you, we could capitalise even on my appearance and try and my my story to try to get um a lot more sponsorship and things like that but if it's not what i feel actually representing me and and telling my story in an honest genuine way it's not really something that i've been interested in pursuing so um yeah it's sort of one of those things that in hindsight yep i definitely could have done things better and could have been a bit more who ducks lined up to to capitalize on things as well, but I also love that organic nature of just being being me. Um, uh, it, it's a team of one that does everything, you know, with me. I've, I've got uh, my family and, and my nurses that come when I'm doing overseas, when I'm doing, you know, long trips interstate or, or overnight bookings to help with my medical stuff. But it is just me usually um, that, that organises the flights, organises everything. I am linked with a couple of speaking agencies and things like that um, these days, but the bulk of it all still is an organically self-driven thing that is just me, you know, taking the inquiries. Um, and again, that, that I, I still set my prices. I, I believe in being genuine and honest and sort of saying, look, is, is there a budget? Is there a, a cost restraint? And that's something that a lot of speakers and a lot of people don't do. They have their set figures that they just don't waver from. But if it's something that I feel is really worthwhile and really important to me and, and what I'm trying to achieve, I'm happy to do very low-cost events and, you know, strip it right back. It, it doesn't the the big sort of corporate stuff and everything that uh, a lot of the agencies and a lot of the speaking networks sort of chase it's great. It's it's good good fun to fly business class and you know stay in you know five star luxury and things like that. But it's still got to be my story and it's still got to be a genuine story that's going to have an impact. Otherwise, I don't see the value in just doing it for the sake of the paycheck. If that makes sense. Real inclusion of people with disability is led by people with disability and acknowledges the diversity of disabilities in our communities. Be an inclusion ally this International Day of People with Disability and look for books, music, film, TV, podcasts and social media created by people with disability. Support events and live performances created by or featuring people with disability. If you can't find anything, ask. Let the broadcasters, publishers and event organisers know there's demand for content by creators with disability. Listen to learn rather than respond, even if what you hear challenges your assumptions. And include people with disability in important conversations and decisions for your business, 
club, sports team or community group. Be a part of building a future Australia that is more accessible and inclusive for everyone. After working as a motivational speaker for many years now, Dean has noticed some positive changes in social attitudes towards people with disability. Yeah, there definitely is. I think as a society, there's a lot more opportunities for disabled people in the community. I still think there's a few sort of difficult mindsets and people's people's pre- preconceived ideas. That's sort of the biggest thing that you've got to break down. Um, uh, I think a lot of times as people sort of still see somebody, whether it's physically disabled or intellectually or whatever the case may be, and instantly categorise. So there's a lot more opportunities for disabled people these days. That can also be frustrating because there's still a lot of sort of old-fashioned mindsets, I guess you could say, even in today's sort of modern society. But um, I definitely think we've made a huge progress over the over the 20 years that I've sort of been in the public field and then um, over the 20 years before that as well. It's been a huge, huge change, yeah. In the corporations and the business sector, I think people are definitely a lot more open to to disability opportunities for or yeah opportunities for disabled people, I should say. Um, so that that side of things, um, I think getting your foot in the door in business and in the in that sort of business community, it's a lot easier these days. That's for sure. Yeah, that's right. So what is the normal life? What's the down in life when you're not motivational speaking? Talk me through what you're up to and still powerlifting, I understand. Yes. So a normal day uh, for me is where if I've got nothing planned for uh, for the day, then my alarm goes off around uh, 5 a.m. And in that time, then I start to I, I just get out of bed and start the process to get my skin in the best possible condition. So that involves about a four to five hour process. My nurses arrive about an hour, hour and a half after I first wake up and get out of bed. And so then uh, at that time, we've checked over literally from the skin on my little toe through to the skin on the top of my head and we've got to check over every single part of my body to make sure my skin isn't breaking down on a even just on a surface level but then also on a some some layer on a cellular level and we've got to bandage uh, the worst affected areas which I'm very lucky it's sort of it's not contained to but it is uh, the worst affected areas now are my feet and my arms and my hands these days so in the past it was literally all over my entire body was bandaged up um you know right around my torso and my even at times across my face and everything but um the skin has sort of slowly um healed and repaired itself enough over the course of my life to now just be contained to um the, the worst affected areas on my my feet and my arms so from, as I said from start to finish that's about a four to five hour process um, and then that means that the rest of the day I'm able to get on with my day completely independently and 
uh, live to what I class as a really high standard. And I, I am very proud of my the life that I lead. And if people find that inspiring, because it is, you know, I'm, I'm first to admit it is rather extreme, the, the medical side of my life that I have to go through. So um, the sort of, if people, people get inspired by me doing everyday things, I'm sort of like, well, yep. That's that's true. It was it was more of a challenge to get up and get out of bed and get to you know the cafe to have to hang out with friends than it than it should would would be for anybody else. So if you find that inspiring, you know I, I'm more than it doesn't bother me from that sense. Like uh, I, I know quite a few other people sort of get a bit offended by that and sort of think no, it's just a everyday thing. It's sort of like well. A to for me to get here is is pretty pretty amazing to be you know functioning member of the community. So if you're you're going to take inspiration from that, then yeah, so be it. I'm more than happy to to for for somebody to feel that way. So it doesn't really bother me whether you're inspired by me just doing the everyday things, going to do the groceries at the shopping centre or you're inspired because I'm standing in front of, you know, 7,000 people speaking, you know. Once once I feel that the skin is sort of settled down and, and at, at, at its sort of best level, then I'll start pushing the boundaries and pushing things to improve my physical strength, both in the gym and just different other activities that I've got. I've got my home gym set up here um, in my house, so could be working out uh, on the treadmill to keep the muscle strength in my legs. Uh, usually there's something on every day, could be work, focusing on the core and my, my back to make sure my, my general, you know, body strength is strong so I can walk around and be stable on my feet and not sort of be, you know, top heavy or, or you know, fragile in, in any one particular part. Uh, the upper body is where I sort of thrive in the gym, though, with bench pressing and weights and everything. So um, that's sort of my greatest sort of passion when I'm exercising to focus on the upper body side of things. So uh, probably three to four times a week I'm in the gym lifting really extreme weights and then the rest of the time I'm there just focusing on you know, the rest of my body, making sure everything's working to the best of its ability then. So what's extreme weights? Come on, wow me. <laughs> <laughs> my current record at the gym, which I, I've been at uh, quite a few times now, is bench pressing 150 kilos. So it's well over double my body weight. So um, it's something that is great fun to be uh, that that top end super heavy category. It sort of puts me some somewhere you know, in, uh, I believe according to my trainers and all my mates who are really heavy, heavy into the fitness side, it puts me somewhere in like the top two to three percent of the in the world, whether you're able bodied or disabled as sort of having the body weight strength to power ratio right up there with an elite athlete then. So it, wow. it's something that I just, uh, yeah, we, we had no idea 
19, 20 years ago when I first started just to try to get healthy, as healthy as I could because of all the speaking engagements and all the travels. It was, um, you know, it, it's easy enough to take the wheelchair and take the scooter with me, but it's, um, it's, it, it's a lot better when I'm just, you know, getting out in, in my car doing my everyday things to just sort of be have that sort of physical upper body strength and physical strength in myself to just sort of be able to jump out of the car racing and grab the milk and bread and basic things you don't have to disassemble the the scooter and set everything up just for you know a five minute little trip so um, that was sort of the th theory behind it all I wanted to just try to push myself to get as strong as I could to be able to do the everyday things easily and then that led to where we are today, where it's sort of, again, it's, um, it gives a lot of confidence and everything then to sort of be able to know that physically I'm strong enough in my core, strong enough, um, my leg strength is strong. I no longer need to 100% focus on the wheelchair. I can sort of, you know, physically stand and, and you know, walk around um, and manage stairs and manage the everyday things. And it also sort of knows that you, you get that sort of confidence to sort of know that, well, yep, you're strong enough to handle yourself in everyday situations or, or the crazy things that might occur every now and then. That I'm a big goal setter and big, big believer in sort of setting setting a goal for today that you can do to sort of get a get a boost. And and, and it might be literally as as silly as, you know, playing with a like the Rubik's Cube or playing with a, you know, a, a computer if you've got to repair it. But just having that sort of goal as, okay, I'm gonna fix this computer and get this working, or I'm gonna solve this puzzle. In, a, in, in as quick as a quick quicker time frame as I can, um, and just getting that little bit of adrenaline, a little bit of you know boost. Uh, yep, nailed that. You know, and that that's where the gym side of things coming comes into things. You can be having a really frustrating day, or or physically you can be really limited in, in what you're capable of doing because my skin's flaring up and things just aren't quite working the right way. But you can go back into the gym, pump the aircon down to, you know, super cold or whatever, whatever you need it to be and just do uh, X amount on the treadmill or if, if my feet are really bad, just uh, re reduce the weights in the gym and take it down to what I class as a lightweight category, which is still, you know, you're still looking at um, anything around 100 kilos. If it's if it's sort of below that, it doesn't even feel at times like you're lifting, lifting the weights. So you can sort of strip it right back to that, hundred kilos and and it's it's super easy for me then and you can just do sets of that or do do you know resistance work to sort of get the get get a bit of flexibility happening whatever the case may be you can always sort of stop and think today really sucks but let's work out something to get a boost today or like I said have that end goal and okay if I can continue this the, you know, in, in three months, I've got this this event booked already. That's going to be so much fun. So I've got to make sure my my health is at this level to be able to do that. Or so you know, you've got all those short term, long term goals that I'm really passionate about setting. Um, 
personally, business-wise, whatever the case may be, and then you've got that target to when you're having those bad days. Sometimes you've just got to have those complete full bad days and, and ride through that whole cycle and then, you know, set, set the alarm for the next day and think, okay, tomorrow when the alarm goes off, we're getting out of bed and we're, we're focused on, on this target or this objective and just being able to address it in your head, understand, you know, yep, today's not not working my way, tomorrow's going to be different though and, and get that get that mindset back on track. I think it's really, I think everybody needs to, needs to ride through the bad times, you know, but, but the key is not to let it consume you and one bad day become a week of bad days, become a month of bad days, become your whole life then, you know, if you can address it, find it, feel, okay, this, this happened, this sucked because of this, now we're putting a stop to it or even if you can't sort of pinpoint why it happened, just this happened, now we've got to work out to rise above it and work out ways around it. I think that's sort of the key key philosophy that I always take is, you know, knowing the bad, feeling it, but then working out how you can get on with it and achieve what you want to achieve. You know, it doesn't matter whether you, you your passion is video games or your passion is, you know, puzzles, whatever it might be, you know, your, your therapy can be whatever you enjoy and, and working out, okay, let's let's make that make that the turning point and let's find, you know, I, I believe everybody's everybody's got a, got a capability of being the best at something, you know, it might just be the best in their family at, at whatever it might be, but but getting that sort of sense of, you know, uh, yep, I, I, I won, I, I beat the odds or I beat, you know, whatever it might be, getting that little little adrenaline boost and then working, working out how you can build on that from there to target the next little goal, target the next challenge and sort of progress from there. It, it comes down to what you want to get out of life. I, I firmly believe you can, you know, everybody, I, I you know, in, in the 20 years I've been speaking, I've, I've talked to so many people and everybody has different challenges, you know. And so my what I class as a huge challenge, somebody else might look at it and think, well, actually, I, I would have done it pretty easily. I would have, you know, take, and vice versa. I, I can sit there and listen to somebody and think, well, you know, uh, you, you can't stop them and sort of say, mate, you're, you've got nothing to worry about because it's big to them. So you've got to listen, take take it on board. Then, and then as I said, you, I use my, my experiences to sort of be like, well, how do you overcome that and try to try to guide people to finding the solutions themselves i think if you're if you're handed a a 10 step miracle cure to to the world's problems um people uh, people a lot of times grab it and then you, before you know it they're back in a deeper hole because the, because they've just sort of skimmed over it and they've not sort of really addressed the big problems that got them there to begin with so i'm i'm all for you know just just hanging out with people wherever I can, speaking, sharing my story, interacting with people, but then going away and letting letting them put put the pieces together and work it out for themselves. It's you know, I definitely say my story isn't a, a you know, a, a glossy 
motivational speech that you, you see on TV or you sort of, you know, um, see, uh, see in a lot of sort of cliche sort of motivational speaking lectures and things like that. It's very much just me sharing my journey. Here's the keys that I've used that have worked for me. And now it's up to you to put the pieces in your your life and your journey, and hopefully you can take those what I've given you and work it out for your life then, and you know run with it from there. And so that's sort of the the fun part: interacting with people, hearing people. Like I said, ten years, five years later, contact me and sort of say, oh. You know, I sat in the audience at this event and, you know, it was great. I thought, you you know, some people just say I love the weightlifting stories. I love, love this side of it. Didn't really get, you know, whatever else you were talking about, but loved the weightlifting and loved this. But then all of a sudden a situation occurred in my life and bang, all the pieces, you know, made sense then. And to be able to have that impact, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years later that my story sort of stayed in their head and resonated, I think that's that's sort of what, I, what I'm most thrilled about. It's not something that you, you hear, you walk away and, you know, a, a week later you're scratching your head trying to remember what it's all about <laughs> kind of thing. And that was Dean Clifford. If you'd like to learn more about Dean's story, visit our website at carersqueensland.com.au forward slash NDIS. Thanks for joining us at Choice and Control, a Carers Queensland podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please take a moment to leave a rating and review and share it with your community. For more information about the National Disability Insurance Scheme or Carers Queensland, contact us online at carersqld.com.au or call us on 1300 999 636 or head to Facebook and look for Carers Queensland NDIS.